Lindsay. And I'm Catherine. And this is our project for our neuroepigenetics class, where our topic was on inflammatory-related diseases and how to use nutri-epigenetics for future studies and treatment. So, Catherine, I was just wondering, um, are there any foods you avoided as a kid? I feel like that's pretty common. I was never a huge fan of cheese. I absolutely hated asparagus, and I tended to avoid fish growing up. How about you? I feel like dairy and milk products sort of got to me a bit, and then I always kind of felt sick to my stomach eating a bit too much steak, but I loved it, so I just pushed through it anyway. But actually, when I was younger... I was convinced my dad was lying when he swore that salads made him sick, but he could eat a ribeye steak with no problem, which was really interesting. But with age, I sort of learned that this was Crohn's disease. Chronic Crohn's disease impacts half a million U.S. individuals, and it's a heritable form of inflammatory bowel disease, which is a bit more common, but It's known to cause symptoms such as abdominal pain and weight loss, and these symptoms can be managed with proper dietary restrictions, but it's sort of really variable in what you can eat, and definitely different people have different food triggers and tolerance levels. Isn't this sort of similar to celiacs? I feel like that's another common disease. Yeah, totally. In celiac disease, there's uh, similar disruptive symptoms and heritability. This disease impacts about 1% of the U.S. population and is also really difficult to treat, despite the only restriction being food that contains gluten, which is a protein found in wheat, barley, and rye. So many different foods contain it. And additionally, an individual's tolerance may vary, like you were explaining with Crohn's. Yeah, it sounds like both Crohn's and celiac diseases often feel like an invisible battle with each dietary choice need made with care. Think about how many times you eat a day. You always have to be thinking about that. Right. Always having to check labels, too. And this heightened awareness is only half the battle, though, as beneficial treatment is often difficult to find given each person's variability in the symptom severity and what dietary options they have, and their tolerance levels. Is this what people are talking about when they bring up food allergies? So by medical standards, intolerance is far weaker than an allergy because the reaction is less clear. Nonetheless, intolerant reactions can force people to deal with serious consequences uh, that are beyond just an uncomfortable trip to the bathroom. So although people are free to claim food intolerances as they please, uh, because it's not as official of a diagnosis as an allergy, Crohn's disease and celiac disease have specific bases that should not be overlooked due to the gaps in knowledge surrounding their treatment. In recent years, studies on these diseases have drastically increased, uh, which allow us to understand their pathology, the science behind the cause and effects of these diseases, and to understand how intolerance works and can be inherited, we're going to need to take a deeper look at our genetics. Thanks for staying with us. Humans can vary in traits, like their hair color, due to small changes in their DNA sequence which we can think of as a sort of genetic code. This code is made up of A, G, C, and T molecules that work together to code for the proteins that our body makes. We inherit genetic code from our biological parents because their genes combine to form ours. 
In the case of inflammatory related diseases, genes that influence how a parent responds to certain foods are passed on to their children. Apart from changes to the genetic code itself, reversible DNA modifications change how the body reads its genetic code. These DNA modifications act sort of like a car's gas cap by allowing in or blocking the levels of gas, or in this case, genes, in the body. Epigenetics is a field that studies how a person's environment can modify DNA in this way by changing gene levels, otherwise known as the amount of gene expression. Overall, this results in behavioral changes. The specific subfield of nutraepigenetics focuses on DNA modifications made when food serves as the environment. There is actually evidence that both gene inheritance and epigenetic changes drive the symptoms of Crohn's and celiac disorders. So what we consume can have a real effect on our genetics. How can we see nutraepigenetics happening in Crohn's disease specifically? So several studies show that a person can vary in how their gene expression levels change in response to different diets, such that one food type, like in my dad's case, salad, but not another, like steak, can increase gene expression in a way to cause an inflammatory response in the gut microbiome. What is the gut microbiome? It's a collection of all microbes, such as bacteria inside our gut, so it's in constant interaction with food. Inflammation of the gut responds to adverse bacterial conditions in this gut microbiome, and the DNA modifications of specific microbial genes is shown to affect these bacterial levels. What's inflammation? So when inflammation happens, chemicals from your body's blood cells enter your blood or tissues to protect your body from invaders, which is food in this case. In other words, a gas cap, like DNA modification, can be added to prevent a much-needed gene from being in your body. And the motor, which is in this case the gut microbiome, can respond by working improperly and causing inflammation. Since these microbial genes are in constant interaction with different foods like salad or steak that cause varying states of DNA modification, the person's inflammatory symptoms can be driven by nutraepigenetics. So how does this relate to the gene inheritance that we just covered? So it has also been found that both mother and child's diet can drive changes of gene expression and affect an individual's disease course. The combination of gene inheritance, a mother's diet during pregnancy, and the child's diet before the ages of disease onset can determine an individual's later symptom severity. It was found in a study using rats that adolescents with Crohn's gene inheritance did not have an increased severity in inflammation when they alone were given a diet of high-methyl donor foods. However, when a mother had a high-methyl donor diet during pregnancy and the offspring also had this diet during adolescence, the inflammation did increase in severity. Can you explain what, the, what you mean by these high-methyl donor groups? Yeah, so the DNA modifications explained earlier sort of act like an added cap that can affect what genes are expressing. So both the mother and the child eating these high methyl groups can affect their gene expression levels later in life. This finding suggested that following Crohn's specific gene inheritance, a mother and child's diet can lead to DNA methylation and changes in microbial gene expression in a way that determines how the individual experiences symptoms and their tolerance to certain foods. What implications might this have for pregnant mothers? 
So this is all preliminary data, but maybe if you do have a family history of Crohn's, it wouldn't hurt to be cognizant of the sort of foods you eat and the choices you make while pregnant. With all this being said, do we know what happens in celiac disease? We do. Celiac disease is the heritable result of a person's genetic makeup and how their environment influences their genes, just like in Crohn's. In this case, the factor that contributes to their genomic environment is gluten consumption. Official celiac diagnosis requires a person to possess the allele encoding for either HLA-DQ2 or HLA-DQ8, which are proteins made by human leukocyte antigen genes. HLA genes for short. However, presence of these alleles in a person does not guarantee the celiac disease. In other words, on a person's sixth chromosome at the area specific to these HLA genes, HLA-DQ version 2 or version 8 needs to be there so that these proteins can form. Could you explain a little bit more about what these HLA genes are? Sure. As of 2017, researchers described the HLA genes as the most variable area in human DNA. They also say that it plays a really important role in our immune system. HLA genes are significant in the body's defense against molecules, which make their way into the body without an invite to be there. So I know that celiacs has a lot to do with gluten, but gluten is in a lot of foods. What is it about gluten that causes these reactions? Gluten is a protein that's rich in glutamine and proline, which are amino acids which cause digestive issues in a person's upper gastrointestinal tract. What are amino acids? Amino acids are a group of 20 different building blocks that uniquely combine to form proteins. A toxic component of gluten called glidin, which consists of glutamine and proline, can resist degradation, and pass into the intestine to interact with antigen-presenting cells. And what are these antigen-presenting ones? Antigen-presenting cells are also a part of our immune system, and they treat the glidin fragments as unwelcome guests in the body, like they might treat the flu when you get sick. When the body possesses the HLA-DQ2 or HLA-DQ8 gene characteristics, this interaction with glidin causes inflammation or irritation, which might leave patients feeling horribly sick. The inflammation as a result of glidin increases gene expression of pro-inflammatory cytokines, which are signaling proteins leading to oxidative stress. Is there an easier way to understand these cytokines? We can think about cytokines as signals given by a conductor, which cause the orchestra to play music in a louder, more obnoxious style. That can be like inflammation. The stress from pro-inflammatory cytokines creates a molecular imbalance, which can cause cell damage in the intestine. Now that we know about signaling, which leads to inflammation in both celiac and Crohn's, let's transition to how we might stop these bad signals. What do we know as far as treatment in Crohn's disease? Nutra epigenetics and overall treatment studies have found that an individual's personal diet can prevent symptoms due to the microbiome's constant interaction with food and the ability to maintain healthy bacterial levels that do not spark inflammation. Overall, the nutrigenomics of Crohn's has societal implications for understanding how current patients can partially prevent the effects of microbial gene expression changes through diet in order to prevent painful inflammation. Currently, long-chain N3 fatty acids 
which are found in fish oil supplements, have been linked to anti-inflammation and reduced symptom severity in rats. In the future, available treatment options can benefit from using nutrigenomics research more and by allowing more personalized prescriptive diet treatment in humans to prevent inflammation signaling. Additionally, preventative diets could be identified for pregnant mothers in cases of their offspring having a high risk for Crohn's gene inheritance. I was wondering, does your treatment focus on this anti-inflammation as well? Yes, celiac treatment does focus on anti-inflammation signaling pathways. Consumption of vitamin C and E found in vegetable food and oil can modulate immune responses in people with celiac disease by decreasing the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines when a person consumes gluten. This would be like a conductor signaling to the orchestra to play their music more peacefully and quiet. As a result of these signals, the body downregulates the transcription factor NF-kappa-B. This would mean that the DNA which forms this transcription factor stops receiving gas to make it run. What is a transcription factor? A transcription factor is another type of molecule responsible for turning genes on or giving them gas. When NF-kappa-B is decreased, there is less oxidative stress or molecular imbalance in response to glidin's interactions with antigen-presenting cells. Vitamin C and E can also be absorbed by the intestinal walls to prevent further inflammatory damage at the site of the intestine. NF-kappa-B transcription factor can also be suppressed by plant-based molecules called polyphenols and carotenoids in fruits and vegetables to cause anti-inflammatory effects. Similar to vitamin C and E, and polyphenols and carotenoids and 3 fatty acids inhibit NF-kappa-B transcription factor, which halts pro-inflammatory cytokine production. This would be like putting the conductor in a very calm mood so that he's not able to give the orchestra signals that would make them play in an aggressive way. Yeah, I've actually noticed that there's a lot of gluten-free signs. It seems that the public really focuses on this. Right. It's interesting that the effects of gluten consumption can be reversed, but the main form of treatment is simply to avoid consumption. This is likely because in the more serious cases of celiac disease, oxidative stress can damage tissue further than repair allows. So I know that a lot of people cut gluten out of their diet anyways. Are they experiencing the same response? A lot of people do cut gluten out of their diet. And although it's up to one of these two possible genes to decide for sure if someone is celiac, it seems possible that aside from these two, some other genes might be likely to cause struggles with breaking down glutamine and proline. Through this approach, it makes sense why we see more people cutting gluten out of their diet than those that specifically have a celiac diagnosis. Yeah, so to me, inflammation definitely seems to be a spectrum. So it could be that focusing on how food impacts genes related to inflammation could help a lot of people, especially the case in those with Crohn's and celiacs. It also could be that although a certain criteria of gene inheritance must be met for a diagnosis, it's likely that individuals outside of a diagnosis experience food intolerance due to just a few inflammatory-related genes.